Um, just in our same spirit, I, I just feel like this is uh, prompted by the Lord, and, and I want us to, before we move on, uh, I know ten, we tend to kind of move from thing to thing pretty quickly. Um, last week, you guys wrote names on these cards of people that you're praying for to come to know Jesus. And I think this song is really appropriate to that because for some of these people, you've been praying for them for a long time, and you haven't seen much progress. Uh, but I want to remind you that, again, our God is powerful, and He is working even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. And, and so I want us to take a minute, and, and those names that you know of, uh, that you wrote down on those cards, and if you weren't part of our gathering last week, uh, you may not know about this, but you may have somebody on your mind, on your heart today, who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're either still trying to earn their way or they're running from God. And I would just, let's just stop for a minute and right here in this space, maybe if you want to grab another person next to you um, and pray with them and just agree in prayer and say, God, would you save and you fill in the blank and put their name there. Maybe it's more than one, but let's just take a few minutes here and let's pray for people to know Jesus, to come to know Jesus. And we're going to pray over these, these names together in just a minute. Father, I just thank you that across this room you hear the prayers of your people. Father, that you care more deeply about these names that we're lifting up, these people that are represented by these names on these cards than we do. And Father, that you are a God who saves. And so we are asking God that as a church we wouldn't exist just to become better versions of ourselves or to have community with each other that we would not just exist to experience times of worship like this, but God, that we would exist to be the light, to be the salt that you've called us to be, to proclaim the gospel, the good news, Jesus, that there is life in you, and not just life now, but life forever. And we pray for your spirit to break through 
Even as we were praying earlier this morning, we're reminded that the, the scripture tells us that for those who do not believe, they are blind. And we once were blind, but now we see by your grace. And so we pray, Father, that you would take those blinders off, that you would open eyes, you would open hearts to see the beautiful love that you demonstrated on the cross, Jesus, as you laid down your life for us. Thank you that we don't have to earn our way to you, God, but you've made a way. Thank you, God, that we don't have to keep running and hiding from you, but you have offered us grace, restoration, reconciliation in Christ. And I pray that for these names on these, these cards here and for those that were just lifted up, we are praying for breakthrough, God. We are praying that they would come to life in Christ. And as a church, that we would keep on praying and trusting you to work, but also being available to be used by you to boldly proclaim the gospel. And even as this morning, as, as uncertainty sets in with uh, things like the coronavirus or, or just the world and the, the struggles of this life, I pray that we was, as a church, as a family of believers, God, would look for opportunities to love and serve other people well and to point them to the peace and the hope that we have, the confidence that we have in you, even amidst the chaos, even amidst the anxiety and the fear that can sometimes spring up. We pray, God, that we would be able to stand up on, on your promises and, and we can love people where they are and, and say there's, there, there's hope and there is, there is peace in Christ. So we pray for that this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for this time. We pray it's all in your name. Amen. You guys have a seat. Well, morning, church family. Thank you for praying with us. As we said last week, we want to be a, a church that is uh, a praying people, okay? And uh, we believe that in Jesus' words that his church, his people, should be a house of prayer. Not just this building, but we as his people, the ones he indwells, that we should be people of prayer, right? And so we're going to continue to, to seek to grow in prayer together, and uh, we encourage you not only to pray when we gather, but when you're in, scattered into your everyday lives, that you would seek God, that you would spend time with him, you would call on him, that we would continue a conversation that he started. And uh, so uh, thankful this week that we've had the opportunity already to, to do that. And uh, thankful for these names that are on this, these cards that you guys turned in last week. And we're praying that we would see uh, many people come to know Jesus Christ this year as we pray for that, okay? Um, God moves when his people pray. And I would love it if you would share stories, if you'd let us know when people come to faith, come tell us so we can celebrate that, okay? Uh, hopefully we get to meet some of these people. But if not, we're going to get to worship God in heaven with them one day. And we're going to celebrate the fact that we got to participate even just in praying for them to come to know Jesus. All right, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to pull it out to the book of Galatians. Anybody like the book of Galatians? Okay. Um, some of you guys know uh, uh, of, historically, a man named Martin Luther. Uh, he was a great reformer, and uh, he and John Calvin were two very influential people in the Reformation. And Martin Luther would say that Galatians was really the book that uh, was his favorite book, and it was a, a radical um, transformation in his heart. 
And when he began to understand the grace of God and how it is the power for change, and, uh, and so um, I've read a little bit of his work this week on the book of Galatians, but um, honestly, the more that, uh, that I've been spending time in Galatians this week and praying and pre- preparing for, for this, um, just have sensed the Lord, like, uh, just again leading us and guiding us to this particular section. So we're not going to teach through the whole book of Galatians, um, which is a little bit hard for me, I'll confess, because I love kind of working through the letter all the way. But as an elder team, we were talking and we felt like that one of the things uh, that we need to grow in is not just prayer, but being spirit-led. I mean, people who are led by the Holy Spirit, okay? And, uh, and people who are then, as a result of being led by the Holy Spirit, uh, demonstrating the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, okay? The characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Uh, ultimately, the characteristics of Christ uh, when he lived the earth and walked on the earth. And so we're going to be in a section, I'm going to read a section that for the next few weeks at least, we're going to be there together. And uh, I'm going to start us out today, and we're going to kind of give a little bit of back context, uh, just so that when we uh, talk through this, we know what we're talking about. But if you have a Bible, like I said, if you'll open it to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 16. I'm going to read through the end of that chapter, which is verse 26. Words are on the screen as well, if you'd like to, to follow along there, but I encourage you to get a copy of Scripture. And there's actually some Bibles under some of the chairs if, you, if you're looking for one. Here's what it says, verse 16 of chapter 5 in Galatians. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the, the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Anybody see any of that in the world today? Okay. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. I'm going to pray for us again. Father, I pray that you would use this section of text over the next few weeks to really teach us how to be more in tune with your Holy Spirit, more Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-guided people walking by your Spirit. I pray that even today as we talk about this, that this will be helpful for us and it will be practical. I pray, God, that you would help us to not just hear these words, but to, to do what you're asking us to do, to obey. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, kind of an odd question maybe to start, but I want to ask you a question today as we get going. Do we as Christians have to obey the law of God, or are we free to do as we please? Do we as Christians have to obey the law of God or we get to do as we please? Now this is a trick question, okay? 
Because I will tell you right now that through church history, what you will find is that there have been people who've fallen on both sides of this, uh, this question, and it's produced incredible division in the church, lots of debates, lots of arguments. Uh, wait, I thought the law was dead. We now are in Christ. We don't have to follow the law anymore. Others who say, no, like you can't live however you want. You've got to follow the law. In fact, you should, you should obey the law. You should obey every bit of the law. And, and the question I will tell you right now is, is not a simple one to come to, even though it might seem simple for some, because it's really about the heart. And if you know anything about the heart, it's a complicated thing, isn't it? Because the question is, why are we obeying the law? And that's a little bit harder sometimes to discern. Even if I obey the law, the question can be, am I obeying it for God or for me? Maybe at a very simple level, right? Now, that said, just as we kind of get started, these next few weeks, we're asking this question, and we're wrestling with this question, but, but the reason why we're really asking this question is because we want to be people who live out the gospel we believe, who live out the gospel that the Bible teaches. And part of the gospel message, which at a very simple level, the gospel is that God created a perfect world with no sin, but human beings rebelled against a holy God and said, forget you, God, we're going to follow our own way. But God, in his grace and his redemptive work, he then pursued us, ultimately sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the price for that sin and to restore us to right relationship so that by faith, anyone who believes in Jesus can have eternal life and have a restored relationship with God. Not just for here and now, but forever, right? And one day, as we wait, we've been given now this Holy Spirit to live in us, that we can now live a life of change and growth that is looking more and more like Christ as we await for him to ultimately come and to restore all things, restore all the broken things, restore all the things that right now we look around and we see that list of all the fleshly works. One, thing, one day all those things will be gone. Amen? I'm thankful for that. Okay? I'm ready to be done with that wrestling match in my heart. But that being said, um, we know that the journey of becoming like Christ is a difficult one. It's a, it's a very challenging one, and it does require work. It does require effort. It does require us to move, um, if you will, from where we are to where God wants us to be. But it's very, 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 very important that we don't turn the process of becoming like Christ into just another man-made religion. And I'll explain what more, more what I mean by that in just a minute. Because at its core, we must understand that the Christian faith is not like any other world religion. It's not just a series of uh, principles and practices and laws that we follow in order to become, again, better people, good moral people, right? The, the, the Christian faith at its core is a transformation. It's becoming a, a completely different person, a new person in Christ. Now, um, I want to just briefly, as I said, give you a little bit of background to this section. And in order to do that, <clears throat> I want to remind you that even into the answer to this question, that in verse 1 of chapter 5 of this same passage, Galatians 5 verse 1 says this, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let me read that one more time. Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, how many of you have ever heard in church or in some other Christian environment that Christians are free in Christ? You ever heard that, that phrase? We are free in Christ. At a very simple level, what we mean by that, 
What, what we're saying when we say free is we are, first and foremost, we are free from the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that we rightfully deserve when we are in our sin apart from Jesus, okay? So we are free from that. We are free from, from that, um, the consequences of our sin that we should get, we should, we deserve. I mean, if, if, if we got justice, if justice was served today, every one of us in here deserves death is what the scripture says. The wages of sin, what we earn from our sin, our rebellion to God is death. I know that sounds harsh. It sounds mean. It sounds like God's, listen, God is holy. He is righteous. There is no way we can come into a relationship and be in his presence apart from his grace and his goodness. And so we deserve death. And that's what sin gives us, uh, provides for us, if you will, leads us to. And we're also not only free from that, but we're, we're free from the need to prove ourselves to God. We're free from the need to earn our way. We're free from the need to climb a ladder of religiosity to get to God and to, to get him to love us, to approve of us, and to let us into heaven even, if you want to use that language, okay? And what is the number one answer that people give when they say, when, you, when they're asked the question, uh, are you going to go to heaven when you die? The number one answer is, well, yeah, because I've been a pretty good person. And yet, that's actually not what the Bible teaches. It's not about our morality. It's not about our goodness. Okay, we're, we're, we're dead in the water. We're done, apart from the grace of God. So, Christ has liberated us to be free. Now, again, as I said, I want to give you a little bit of context. In Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, um, so much we could say about it. But in that letter, Paul has been saying to these people, he's been saying, listen, guys, you heard the gospel, and you understood that you couldn't save yourself, but salvation only came through Jesus. And so you received that grace gift. But now you received it, and these Judaizers, these people, are, they're trying to get you to go back to, you, to using the law to earn God's grace, to earn God's favor, to earn God's approval. And so they were trying to include these, Judy, uh, these Jewish practices and, and Jewish festivals uh, in order to attain God's favor. And uh, in, in, in Paul, he, he literally at one point, he says, who has bewitched you? Like who has tricked you into thinking that doing these religious things is, is how you're going to get God to love you and God to approve of you, how you're going to get salvation? He literally like confused, right? He's asking that. He knows who they're listening to, but he, but he asks, like, you've gotten tricked. You were doing so well, and, then, and all of a sudden you're, you're off track, and you're, you're, working, you're working trying to be these religious people again. And so he's reminding us that, um, that the, the freedom that we have is a freedom from religion. From, and that may sound weird to some because we, we call Christianity religion. It's, it's kind of deemed as this religion. But we know that, again, the Scripture says it's not human effort that gets us to God. It's Jesus coming down to us right? And we have to start at that point this morning to realize that we are free in Christ because of his death, his burial, his resurrection. So he also, um, in doing that, again, as he's made us free, you could, you could summarize it this way, that he has freed us from sin, which would be rebellion, and even um, this taking advantage of his grace, but he's also freed us from self-righteousness, religion, legalism. He's freed us from both of those things, okay? And the people at Galatia, uh, they needed to be reminded of that. And I would say we need to be reminded of that, okay? Because let's be honest, we've been in church sometimes, 
Maybe you've experienced this and somebody got up and preached a sermon and you felt really guilty and you're like, I'm just going to go work really hard. Other times you heard somebody preach a sermon, you felt really guilty and you're like, well, forget it. I'm just going to keep living the way I'm living. doesn't matter, right? And God says, no, it's not you take advantage of the grace, I'm forgiven. It's that you begin to live a new life, a changed life, a transformed life, a life that honors God because his grace leads us to repentance. His grace leads us to change and to growth to transformation. Now, uh, Paul even says in this, he says, don't go back to a yoke of slavery. Don't go do it. So don't go back into your sin and be stuck in your sin and don't go back into your religion and get stuck in your religion. Follow me. Experience the freedom that I've been given, that you've been given in Christ. In fact, verse 13 says it this way, for you were called to be free, brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, so much more we could talk about here. But notice this. This is to summarize this. Christ Christ purchased our freedom from sin to not sin. Okay? Christ purchased our freedom to serve and not be selfish. Christ purchased our freedom to fulfill the law and not be controlled by it. Now, again, there's more that we could say about that, and even that is a mouthful. But just know that what God has done for us in Christ is changing us. It's making us new. And it's not so that we, again, can do whatever we want, but that we actually do what he wants more and more and more as we get closer to him, as we grow in our love for him, as we get to know him. Now, some of you might be thinking, how can I actually fulfill the law and not get caught up in legalism? And that's the tension, right? How can I actually do what God's law says? Like following the Ten Commandments is a good thing, right? But how can I do that and not get caught up in in like building my own resume before God saying, God, you should hire me. (laughs) I'm I'm a really good, I'm a really good son or daughter of you. How do you get where you avoid the self-righteousness that easily can, can get involved when we start to obey God? How do we experience transformation? This leads us to the point of this series, um, which is this, we must live by the Spirit. We must live by the Spirit. We must walk in step with the Spirit. We must be people who are full of the Holy Spirit. If not, we'll obey for the wrong reason, or we'll just disobey and say, forget it. Okay? But as we walk by the Spirit, we'll become the people God intends us to be. Listen to what John Piper says about this. I think this quote is on the screen for me, for you, above me. It says this, If the Christian life looks too hard, we must remember that we are not called to live it by ourselves. We must live it by the Spirit of God. The command of love is not a new legalistic burden laid on our back. It is what happens freely when we walk by the Spirit. People who try to love without relying on God's Spirit always wind up trying to, f- to fill their own emptiness. Catch this, this phrase. To fill their own emptiness rather than sharing their fullness. You been there? Trying to fill your own emptiness rather than sharing their fullness. And so love ceases to be love. Love is not easy for us, but the good news is that it is not, our primar- not primarily our work, but whose? God's work. We must simply learn to walk by the Spirit. Again, Alistair Begg says it this way, effective Christian living is not the product of human regulation, but divine transformation. When we begin to follow the Spirit, you know the number one thing that happens in our lives? The number one characteristic that comes out? It's the, it's the first of the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. Love is what drives the Christian life. Love is what drives our hearts to want to obey. As Jesus said, if you love me, you will 
obey me. That's what should drive us. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. There, is a, there are a lot of things that I do as a Christian that are not driven by love. I'm working on it. I'm growing. I'm trying to learn. But there are many times I do it from guilt. From guilt. I don't want to be a bad Christian. I don't want to be a bad person. I don't want to be a bad husband. I don't want to be a bad dad. I, I want to be a good person. But love, love, motivation, the true motivation, the greatest motivation is love. Now we're going to come back to that in a minute. To make sure we're clear, though, before we really jump into this walk by the Spirit, when we say the Spirit, we want to make sure we know who we're talking about, okay? Because I realize that more and more people don't even really know who is the Spirit anyway. Sometimes I've joked about before with you guys that growing up in church, there was a way that we really liked talking about God as Father, and we liked talking about Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, but we really didn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. So we just didn't talk about Him. And as a result of that, it felt like we probably were more like, I mean, some of you guys know the formal theological term is Trinitarian. I felt like sometimes we were more Bitarian than Trinitarian, right? We really liked two of the Godhead. We just didn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit even got called an it. And, and that's not what the Holy Spirit is, okay? The Holy Spirit is God. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to understand that's what the, the Scripture tells us, that the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, in the, the Bible, in the very beginning, did you know the Holy Spirit was there at creation? Because the Holy Spirit's God. It says the Spirit hovered over the waters. The Holy Spirit is, is God. Now, I'm not even going to try today to, to, to explain the mystery of God as Trinity, okay? We'll spend our whole lifetime trying to figure it out. We've talked about this before. But just know that the Holy Spirit is God, and this Holy Spirit, as part of the Godhead, is someone we submit to, not command around. And this is why I love what even my wife said earlier in, the, in this worship time. We've been talking about this this week in our home and with some other pastors that we were with early in the week, is that sometimes we, we think we just get to call the shots and we get to command and direct the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's God. Holy Spirit is God, and we surrender and we submit to Him. That's our position, right? And so we need to understand that. We need to come to that place where we are humbling ourselves and saying we are submitting and yielding to the Holy Spirit. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute more too. So uh, just some passages of Scripture that help me when I think about the Holy Spirit. For those of you that don't know uh, much about the Holy Spirit, or maybe you've just heard it, or maybe you've even heard these passages, but just a couple of things that Jesus said, because when Jesus talks about things, that's usually pretty good to go there, right, and to learn from him. And so what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, and this isn't all he said, but he says this in verse, verse 16 of chapter 14 in John. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. The word literally there is paraclete, literally that he is there to help, like to come alongside, right, like paramedic, right, alongside, helping, that, that, that the Holy Spirit will, will be the counselor to be with you forever. How long is the Holy Spirit going to be with us? forever. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really awesome. He's going to be with us forever. He is the spirit of what? Truth. The world is unable to receive him. Why is the world under, unable to receive him? Because you don't receive the Holy Spirit apart from coming to Jesus and surrendering to Jesus first as Lord, right? Confessing Jesus as Lord and receiving the gift of, of his work. So the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So is the Holy Spirit just out here? No. For a believer, the Holy Spirit's in here. Okay? I just want to make sure we're all clear this morning, okay? Maybe this is like Holy Spirit 101, 
But in the church and locally, we've got to remember the Holy Spirit is not just out here. The Holy Spirit's right here in the life of a believer, okay? Now, verse 25 in that same chapter, Jesus says this. He says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, there's that word paraclete again, counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, and he will, what? Teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. If you want to grow as a Christian in your knowledge of God, you have to have the Holy Spirit. You, you can't read the Bible and get anything out of it without the Holy Spirit. I mean, not truly, not true knowledge of God. You can, uh, you can understand history. You can understand parts of the, you're going to be completely lost and floundering without the Holy Spirit. So when somebody comes to me and says, listen, I read my Bible. I try so much, but I can never get anything out of it. I don't understand what it says. It's like, have you ever uh, put your trust in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit? I don't mean that in, in a rude or embarrassing. I'm saying like seriously. Because without the Holy Spirit's guidance in understanding truth, we are, we're kind of lost. But the Holy Spirit will lead us. I could tell you several stories even of guys that I know where, um, where there was such a, a light bulb moment, and probably some of you guys had it, where they had been reading their Bible and they came to faith as an adult. They never could get anything out of it. They, they couldn't figure out why. The, they were like, why are people keep talking about the Bible being so good? I don't get it. And they came to faith, and all of a sudden, those scriptures started to mean something. It's because of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of the Word of God. So, in chapter 16, Jesus goes on. I got to move. He says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit. Listen, to this is Jesus, by the way. And he's talking to his disciples, and his disciples are getting nervous because he keeps talking about dying. And he's saying, I'm going to go away. And they're like, wait a minute, you can't leave us, Jesus. Like, we've given everything to follow you for the last three years, and now you're saying you're going to go away. What are you doing here? Aren't we going to, like, kick out the Romans? Aren't we going to take over? Aren't we going to be your boys? Aren't we going to be, like, in charge here? It's going to be awesome. He says, listen, no, I'm leaving, but here's the cool thing. It's to your benefit that I leave because if I don't go away, then the, the counselor, the paraclete, the helper, he won't come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Who convicts the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment? The Holy Spirit. The moral police of the church? No. Does that mean the Holy Spirit, that, that, does that mean that God can't use the church to be a voice to speak truth? Absolutely not. We should be speaking the truth, right? But who ultimately brings conviction? The Holy Spirit, right? That's a good word for marriages. It's a good word for you trying to help your, your, help your spouse get on God's page. It's like we say all the time that, the, that God is a trinity. He doesn't have four persons. He has three. He doesn't need your help, right? You don't need to be the fourth. He has the Holy Spirit to work to bring conviction and change in the life of the believer, all right? Just, just to, that's for free, okay? So when the Spirit comes, he will do that. Now listen, in, in verse 13 of that same chapter, he goes on to say, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You want to know truth? We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. That's exciting. He's going to declare to us what is to come. The Holy Spirit's going to give us precursors of what God is doing, what is to come. He will glorify me. Who's, who's the Holy Spirit intended to glorify? Jesus. We sang Spirit rise to glorify the Father and glorify the Son, right? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's amplifying the other two parts of the Trinity, the other two persons of the Godhead. And so he's going to be pointing us to him. If the Holy Spirit, if, if, if your version of the Holy Spirit is all about the feel good of the Holy Spirit, then you're missing the point. 
Let me say it again. There is a movement, there is a world in which we live where there are Christians who are just focusing purely on the Holy Spirit. If, if I was not emphasizing the Holy Spirit enough, there are others who overemphasize the Holy Spirit. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus, to point us to trust in Jesus, to surrender and obey Jesus, and to understand the Father, and to know the Father, and to draw near to the Father, become one of his children, and to walk as one of his children, all right? So if the Holy Spirit's not doing that, then you got to be going, well, what spirit is this? Because it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus, always points us to Jesus, always points us to, to God, the Father, and the Son. And then lastly, again, we're, we're flying through these, I know, but Romans 8, and I encourage you, go back and read these this week. But Romans chapter 8, this is what he says. You, however, he's talking to these believers. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God lives in you, there's that in you again. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The Spirit testifies, himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. How do you know that you're a child of God? The Holy Spirit testifies in your heart. You're a child of God. So consistently, if people come and they say, I just don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm God's child. I don't know if I'm a Christian. Now, sometimes that comes because the accuser's voice is really loud. We screw up. We blow it. We have little faith. We disobey. And the accuser comes and says, you're not really one of God's children. But God's children, when we are still before the Lord, when we are quiet, the Holy Spirit affirms that we are God's children. And it's a mystery, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, it's a mystery. This Christian life, it's not just rational. It is rational, but it's not just rational. Does that make sense? Like, we don't just think our way through it. We have the experience that are supernatural through the work of the Holy Spirit, and he is confirming we are God's children. And so if you are in Christ today, you know what I'm talking about when, when I say, listen, I've been in places where I sense the Holy Spirit saying, you belong to God. And, and, and that is so affirming, isn't it? It's so confirming for our hearts to know that we belong to God, and the Holy Spirit is reminding us of that. So let me summarize this, all these verses. There's more that I could say, but let me just simply summarize it this way. The Spirit, the capital S, Spirit, Holy Spirit, is God with us and in us, reminding us who Christ is, who we are, and empowering us to live the life that God has called us to live. Okay, that's a simplification but if you think about it, he is with us and he is in us as God. And he is reminding us of who Christ is, who we are, and he is empowering us to live the life that God has called us to live. So for me to stand up here and say, hey, listen, this week, Christians, let's go live uh, the best life we can live. Let's be moral. Let's be, you know, godly. Let's do all these things. And, and, and not to say you've got, you're going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit is not, is not helping anybody. Because you're going to say it differently. The Christian life requires God, specifically the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the believer, okay? So the questions, just three questions I want to answer as we close out our time today over the next 10 minutes. The first question is this, what is walking by the Spirit, okay? And we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, so that's why I'm going to move quickly. What is walking by the Spirit? He said we need to walk by the Spirit. In fact, all through the book of Ephesians, you guys were with us in the fall, we've talked through the book of Ephesians, he kept saying walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. It was repetitive. Why? Because this is really, really key to becoming a mature believer, to being who God's called us to be. And so what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, very simply put, Paul says it in this section in verse 18. Did you see what he said in verse 18? He said this, but if you are led by the Spirit, 
led by the Spirit. Um, this week we were with a group of pastors, and there's a um, part of our conversation was this whole conversation around being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we see the words filled with the Holy Spirit in the Scripture, our tendency is to think of ourselves like a cup that God is filling up, okay? Because that's what it sounds like. It's just like you feel, being filled up like, like a container, and God's filling us up with his presence. But actually, the words filled with the Holy Spirit, as in Ephesians, when Paul writes that, it's really, it was a nautical term. And it was the idea that of, of when a, a ship was out there, and they had, they had sailboats, right? There was no engine. So what was, what was the way they got around? How these ships move around? They had sails, and they would throw the sail, or lower the sail, and the sail would be there, and what would happen? The wind would blow, and it would fill the sail and push the ship. That's the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, is that you are being filled by the, the Spirit is, is moving you as you, in a sense, unfurl your sail and say, God, you drive me, you push me, you fill that, okay? You, you lead me, you motivate me, you move me where you want me. And now that's important because sometimes we can get into these settings and environments where it's like, fill me, God, fill me, God, fill me, God, fill me, God. And yet not say, God, I surrender. I submit to you. I yield to you, right? In a sense, we, we see that there is a, a danger to not acknowledging the work of the Holy Spirit that's already propelling us, moving us, stirring us. But we're like stationary. <laughs> we're not like, God, fill me, but I don't want to obey you. God, work in me and fill me, but, and I want to feel good, and I want to have these emotional moments with you, but I don't want to have to actually do what you say. You're not going to be full of the Holy Spirit. Full of Spirit requires being led by the Spirit, saying, you're in charge, God. You're in charge. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to submit to you. Listen, think of it this way. The Spirit is not like, um, anybody in here like NASCAR racing? Nobody. Wow. A couple. Few. I assume that might be the case in this crowd, but I, personally, I'm not a NASCAR fan. I don't watch NASCAR. I have friends that do, and I get tired of watching them go around and around and around the same circle. So, um, but that being said, uh, in NASCAR races, uh, or, you know, car races, they have a pace car. Does everybody know what a pace car is? So it sets the pace, and everybody has to kind of stay behind it until it's time, right, to go. And they have a pace car. And sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is the pace car. And the Holy Spirit's out there, and like we're basically just staying, he's leading, and we're, we're following, we're in staying pace with the, the Holy Spirit. Actually, the Holy Spirit is more like uh, the engine, the locomotive part of the train. Like, think of it, that it's not just pacing us, but pulling us. That the Holy Spirit is not just out in front pacing us, and we're kind of following along behind him, but actually the Holy Spirit is at the front. We are following, but he's pulling us. He's empowering us. He's enabling us, right? We're being led. We're going somewhere by the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, that's, that's important for us to remember that God isn't just calling us to follow him. He's saying, I'm going to empower you to follow me. Because the question I asked earlier is, how do you obey God without getting self-righteous, without becoming centered on self? Listen, you remember that you can't do what God's asked you to do apart from his Holy Spirit, apart from him working in you, right, and through you, and re resting, relying on him, throwing up that cell, letting him push you and drive you. So the Spirit is, like, is not like a lead pace car. It's like a locomotive on the train. We are led by his power. The second thing walking by the Spirit looks like is it looks like bearing fruit. 
And this is, again, we're going to talk about this in these next few weeks, but it's going to look like bearing fruit. I, I would assume if you are a Christ follower, and maybe even if you're not a Christ follower, because I don't think every person, I don't know if every person here has actually surrendered to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and, and, and given your life to Him, follow Him. But if you are a Christ follower, I assume that you want to be a person who is loving, joyful, peaceful, faithful, gentle, uh, full of goodness, self-control, all those fruit of the Spirit, right? Because there's, there's a desire to, to be those kind of people because that's the work of the Spirit in us. And so as we are going to be people led by the Spirit, if we're going to walk by the Spirit, listen, we'll bear fruit that looks like Jesus. And we're going to break that down a little bit in coming weeks, and I'm excited about that. But those things are contradictory to our normal MO. Those are contradictory to the flesh. Those are contradictory. In fact, he even says in this passage, they're at war with each other, right? But we bear fruit. So as we follow Jesus, as we walk with the Holy Spirit, we're going to look more loving, joyful, peaceful, good, kind, you know, all those, those fruit of the Spirit, gentle. Those things are going to come out of our lives. Um, and so in, in your heart, in my heart today, if you were just to say, am I walking with the Spirit? Two simple questions to ask would be, am I allowing the Holy Spirit to guide me? Am I submitting and surrendering to the Holy Spirit? Am I letting the Holy Spirit drive me? And two, am I seeing fruit of that in my life? Would people define me by those characteristics that are on that list, okay? Would they see the love and the joy and the peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those? Would they see that? Now here's just a caution. The reason why this is a, a, a caution is, I've already alluded to this, but I'm gonna say it again. There is a way to, to show those characteristics and yet not actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or actually, I should say it this way. You can look like a genuine Christian and only be just doing the actions of a Christian. And that might sound concerning for some, but I'm just going to tell you right now that the Pharisees, and they're not the only ones. It's just the easy ones to pick on because in the Bible we see them. They, they followed the law. They did the right things, but again, they did it for the wrong reason. And it's, it's dangerous when we have outward behavior change, but the inward heart is not changed. Because it can, it can actually confuse people. It can make us think, well, if I get the outside behaviors right, well then, um, that's what really matters. But what God wants us to do is to flow from the inside out, right? He wants us to come be changed and transformed from the renewing of our minds, like Romans 12 talks about. That we are changed and transformed from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit does that work in our life. Um, just a word on this, is that God in, intends us to be Spirit-filled people. He intends us to be people full of His Holy Spirit that are changing and, and becoming new, not just outward in, again, conformed people uh, to a set of religious behaviors and practices. I've, I've said this before that, and, and I, and I want to, again, just caveat it with, I have no arrogance in my heart when I say this. In fact, I have real respect, but there are people that I know that are following other religions that according to Scripture, they're not going to lead to life. But I would say that they are more moral than I am. You ever encounter some of those people? There are a few people that I've met. In fact, we had neighbors when we lived in Round Rock. They lived kind of catty-corner to us. And I'm telling you right now, they were some of the sweetest people I've ever met. And they followed the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They were Mormon. And, and, and when I understand their, under, their beliefs about Jesus— they do not believe Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. They believe that works is how you get there, okay? 
It's a lot more there behind it, but just at a base core, that's where we are. But they were incredibly moral. So what I'm saying to you is just morality alone doesn't indicate that the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. Okay? Maybe that's just something to cause us a minute to say, is the Holy Spirit again driving my my behavior, or is it just me wanting to be a moral person, a good person? Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? John chapter 3 was where this guy, Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, who actually did cross T's, dot I's, and was awesome. He was a stud. When it came to religion, and he was moral and all those things, he came to Jesus and he said, you know, how, how can I be saved? And Jesus says to him, what? You must be born again. Born again of water and the Spirit. He says you need to be born again. What he was saying in that moment was not just keep, you know, you know, not just keep obeying the law and obey me, but now what? You have to be made completely new. You were born naturally, now you got to be born supernaturally. And you got to be born of the Spirit. So that's what God wants for us. So the question is, why should we walk by the Spirit? Why should we walk by the Spirit? If, if this is how we walk by the Spirit, why should we walk by the Spirit? Um, well, let me just give you two reasons why that are from this text again. Number one, we overcome the flesh. How many of you guys, I asked while I go, how many of you want to be loving and joyful and peaceful and gracious and kind and, you know, faithful, all those things, patient? I don't know about patience, but all the rest of them, right? And, how many of you, and you're like, yeah, I want to be that. How many of you want to be, as the other list that was there, how many of you want to be idolaters, uh, sorcerers, uh, hateful, uh, creating strife, jealous, uh, being angry, selfish? Anybody want to be those things? No. I, I, I mean, even people who aren't Christians go, I don't want to be that way. Well, here's the thing. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't do those things. If you walk by the Spirit, those things will become less and less a part of your life and have less and less a stronghold in your life. You, do you believe that? That's what Scripture says. It says if you follow the Spirit, if you walk by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, if you're filled with the Spirit, then increasingly anger and jealousy and strife and ambition and, and all those things will start to disappear and fruit of the Spirit will appear. I don't know if some of you guys believe that. You're looking at me like, I don't know, I don't know. I'm telling you right now, the Word of God is true that as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we follow the Holy Spirit, we will begin to see. So we overcome the flesh. And just in case we were wondering, again, what are the works of the flesh? James 1.14 reminds us, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. The flesh is the evil desires in us, okay? 1 John 2.16 tells us that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, that that's the evil stuff that's there. And if you want to overcome that, then you're going to need the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm going to need the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I've got to yield to the Holy Spirit. I've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. If not, I'll just keep on chasing after the things that look good, feel good, and that really feed my pride. Been there? Yeah. The primary mark of this fleshly life is unsubmissiveness to God. And the primary mark of a spirit-filled life is submissive to God out of love for him. We produce God fruit. The second reason why we should walk by the Spirit is we should produce God fruit, which is the same answer. It's just a different way of looking at it because we do, again, want to fulfill the law because the law is not bad, by the way, right? I mean, the ten, anybody think the Ten Commandments are bad? Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. We, that's a silly question, right? We actually will fulfill it when we love well, when we love people. 
That's why Paul could say it's summed up in loving your neighbor. Because when we love, we will fulfill the law. Which means what? We don't have to deal with consequences of disobedience and not fulfilling the law. Because when you don't fulfill the law, what happens? You still with me? Pain. Destruction. Not fulfilling the law. Not obeying the law. Not doing what the law says. Actually leads to heartache and pain in our lives. So, when we walk by the Spirit, we will experience greater joy, greater peace, greater hope, and greater confidence in our God and goodness of His goodness. When we don't walk by that, we will experience pain and heartache, just like people who are not, not believers. So, how do we actually walk by the Spirit? I want to land the plane. How do we walk by the Spirit? Galatians 2.20. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Probably some of you have memorized it. It always taught to me as a kid. It says in Galatians 2.20, actually begins at the back end of, of verse 19. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. You want to know how we live as people who are walking by the Spirit, led by the Spirit? We trust on and we rejoice in God's finished work and future promises. Let me say that again. We walk by the Spirit by trusting on and rejoicing in God's finished work and future promises. Listen, trust means submission. It means surrender. You guys have probably done a trust fall before. Anybody ever done that? Where you stood on a chair and had some people stand behind you and you're like, okay, fall. My kids want to do that every night before bed. All right, I'm coming, Dad. Trust, trust means actually not just saying I trust God, but actually acting in a way that reveals I trust God, right? It's, it's behavior. It's, it's, it's change. It's obedience in line with what I say I believe. It's, and so it's submission. It's surrender to God. Notice the first words of that. I have been crucified with Christ. Anybody think of the Christian life that way? Yet the scripture says that to be a Christ follower, to be a true Jesus follower, means that you have to come to the end of yourself. To say, I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. Man, that is a, that is a, a battle. I, I referred to Romans 12 one and, uh, a while ago. Let me say it again. He says, therefore I urge you in view of God's mercy to present your body as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. In some ways, for me, it would be easier to die for God than to live for him. Because as long as I'm alive, I'm wrestling with my flesh. I'm wrestling with those desires that keep warring against me, right? But we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to come to that place where there is a moment where we have given over the control, the reins of our life, the steering wheel of our life, and say, Jesus, you're in charge. Even if I keep trying to take it back, there has to be a moment where I come to the end of myself and say, I am not going to pursue my own way any longer. I'm going to pursue you, Jesus. I'm going to pursue your way. Now help me do that. And when that happens, he says, yep, I will. I'll help you with that. I'll even discipline you. I'll even bring circumstances and situations in your life to reveal where your, your heart truly is. Are you truly submitted and surrendered? Because I love you that much. So we trust in and we rejoice in. You know, the easiest people to submit to in my life are people that I like. Anybody been there? Maybe the opposite is true. It is very difficult to submit to someone I don't like. 
Part of the reason why I think people resist submitting and surrendering to God is because their perception of God is off. And what I would say to you that to today, I mean, we have, we have a human brokenness in us that says, it's my way, I got it. But I would also say to you that when we understand what Christ has done for us, it's so much easier to joyfully submit. You see, our submission is a response to Christ's submission. What did Christ submit himself to? Philippians 2. He submitted himself to death on the cross. For who? For us. So we submit, but our submission is a response to his submission. Our willingness to surrender to Christ comes when we first peer at him, look at him, and remember that he surrendered himself for us. He surrendered himself to the plan of God so that we could be rescued, we could be redeemed. That means that every day, I need to rejoice in that. I need to remember that. I need to reflect on that so that my heart is then stirred to say, God, rather than me trying to fill my life, the emptiness in my life with idols, with stuff that's not you, the created, I'm going to fill it with you, God. I'm going to let you fill me again with yourself. And that's what George Mueller, our kids this week, were studying his life and talking about some of the things about his, his ministry and his life. But here's the thing. Um, some of you guys have heard us quote this before. I'm going to quote it again this morning because I think it's just so good. That in his autobiography, he says this. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might, how I might, might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. What is the food for the inner man? Not prayer, but the word of God. If we want to be people who are happy in the Lord, then we have to put truth in there, right? And here's, here's the most profound truth, that the God who created the universe, who holds everything together by his power and his might, who is alone wise, who is holy, who is righteous, who is the judge of all things, he says, I love you, and I want you to be my child. I mean, it's amazing. It's incredible. It's mind-blowing, and it should bring joy. The fuel for the Christian life, the, the reason why we should submit to the, the Holy Spirit, surrender to the Holy Spirit, is because God initiated with humanity out of his great love for us. And he's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of surrender. He's worthy of everything we could give him and so much more, right? All of ourselves. There's an all-out war between the flesh and the spirit. But the great thing is, is he says, the victory has been won in Christ. The victory has been won. And when we walk by the spirit, we're just recognizing, realizing, and experiencing that victory over that sin. Some of you guys this morning, you get that. You're experiencing that. Even though you're in a war and even though you feel the tension, you're seeing breakthrough because you're seeing that as you surrender to God, life really is amazing with God. It, there's joy and there's peace and there's hope even when it's hard. There's other of you this morning and you are like still, you're white knuckling it, right? You are doing your very best to, to become the very best person you can on your own strength. And what I want to invite you to today is submit to the Holy Spirit. 
Let God be God in your life. Let God do the work of changing you. Let God do the transforming work of making you into who he wants you to be. Some of you today may be at a place where you've like completely ignored God's voice in your life. And my, my, my prayer is that you would stop ignoring his voice. You would stop ignoring his voice. You would listen to him. You would follow him and you'd find freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. We pray. Father, I thank you so much for every person in this room who is here today, not by accident, but because you brought them into this place. And my prayer this morning is that you would enable us to be people who are led by the Spirit, filled with your Spirit, that we are not just people who sing songs about you or talk about you, but that we personally are obeying you, following you, trusting you. Thank you that the Christian life is not on us to figure out and to live, but it's, it is you who is initiating, it's you who's working, it's you who's, who is moving us towards who you want us to be. So God, help us to, to stop getting in the way. Help us to stop pursuing our own thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us in spite of our hard-headedness, in spite of our stubbornness, and pursuing our own way. Thank you, God, that you keep loving us. I pray today that even in this moment, this time, we would respond to you with obedience. We pray in your name. Amen. Um, we want to invite you guys this morning to just uh, respond in whatever God is leading, whatever His Holy Spirit is saying to you, that you'd respond. And, uh, and so these guys are going to lead us in songs. We close out. We have some communion tables around the room. We invite you to take communion as a, a reminder of Christ's work, his broken body, his shed blood for us so that we can receive forgiveness and freedom and joy in Christ. And uh, maybe just in a very simple way this morning, you just need to have some conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, help me to stop trying to call the shots in my life. Help me to surrender, submit to the Holy Spirit, to you, God, in my life. And if you're not a Christ follower, if you're not a believer, maybe this morning step is, God, I just want to stop running from you or I want to stop trying to earn my way to you and just receive the gift of salvation this morning. Maybe that's what you need to do. Pray the Holy Spirit will lead you in that, okay? And if you need prayer, there's some folks who'll be at the back of the room to pray during this time as well.